Hello everyone and welcome. Today we have a special episode basically where we're going to be talking about migrating to Unreal 5. So we have three top Unreal experts. I'm allowed to say that because I'm not one of them so I can be nice and big everyone up here. Quick introduction to myself. I'm Harry at Evolution. We're at Evolution Recruitment Gaming, community-led recruitment company. Long story short, we help a lot of gaming studios with their contractors. So that's my context. So I'll go straight over to Matt first to introduce himself. Thanks, Harry. Uh, yeah, Matt Edmonds. I am the founder of Other Five Games. Uh, quick shameless plug, other5.xyz. But there's not a lot yet there to see as I'm working every week on uh, building a pl- uh, Unreal projects that'll make content and sharing new game experiences very easy for people that are non-coders. So there will be some more announcements uh, throughout later this year. But the idea is similar to UE Fortnite. Uh, but with all of Unreal's capabilities, everything in the engine. So building materials, full blueprints, every class you can imagine. So uh, exciting stuff there. A few years back, I wrote a book on Unreal about the 4.18, 420 era. And uh, have been since then at Splash Damage Games. Um, last thing I worked on there was our Unreal porting of uh, Halo Master Chief Collection. And then Improbable Worlds uh, until the end of last year before starting Other 5 where we were working on projects for Yuga Labs and other large-scale, massive player experiences in Unreal. So that's me. Fantastic. Wrote the book on Unreal. I'd love to have that as a... Not the book, but I definitely wrote <laughs> yeah. the book. It's the orange yeah. one. Yeah. It's a nice tagline, though. Uh, yeah. Lovely. And over to you, Yuris. Thank you for having me. Tough act to follow. But uh, I've been working with Unreal since it uh, became open source. This was uh, version 4... 12 or 13 or something during my last year in the university. Uh, I'm a, uh, recently I was, uh, my most recent role was a senior Unreal developer at Fast Travel Games. They're now releasing a game I helped, uh, worked on with them uh, called Mannequin and um, have been in the industry for now seven full years and have been working on a bunch of um, a bunch of games, mostly in various kind of networking roles uh, and uh, and rendering optimization for for VR. Uh, I've um, worked on Spaceform, which is a platform uh, made for designers and architects. Which um, I'll go into some detail later, I suppose. Um, but a lot of multiplayer and online system design. Amazing. And finally, Omrum. Uh, thanks, Harry. Uh, I'm Omrum Chetin and currently a technical director of Mites Studios. Uh, I have been working with Unreal Engine since it was UDK. So I was <laughs> trusting Unreal Engine up until from that moment. And I have a wide range of career, which is coming from the big data background, databases, and at the end, the, in the game industry. So it's good to be here and sharing some experience that I have had earlier. Fantastic. And one more thing from Matt. Yeah, before we go on, uh, I s- remarkably forgot to mention one of the um, other things that I'm spending about half of my time on, which is working with the gang in Sweden as a um, contracting consultant expert for Unreal. And we have an amazing project going there, awesome team. And uh, that was made possible by my friends here at Evolution. They put us in touch. So thank you guys. 
Nah, too kind, Matt. Uh, fantastic. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. I have a few set questions that we're going to have as discussion points that we've prepared. So let's start with the first one. So the first one is talking about the new features. So we're talking about in the latest update, so 5.3, and what has changed from 4, what are some of the key updates, essentially. So I want Matt to take this first, if that's okay. Yeah, we, we've gone back and forth on this one. If we go all the way from 4, even 4.27 or something, up to leave us at 5.3, even if I just went through the 5.3 features we would and read them, we would be here all day. But um, for those of you working in 4, biggest changes to 5, any version of 5, or the integrated integration of Nanite and Lumen directly in. You could in 4 shoehorn these things in with plugins and other things, but that has advanced and gotten so much better in... 5.1, um, But to go specifically into a couple of things from 5.3 that I wanted to mention, even just since 5.2, if you guys don't follow and read the Unreal public roadmap, always be checking that roadmap. There's always cool stuff on there. The reason I say that is because, again, I could list even just the 5.3 stuff, but we'd be here forever. One of the things that I went there for, because we actually needed it for a feature that I can't give you the details on, but was the orthographic camera which people have been asking for since so early versions of 4. Why doesn't orthographic work you know, in runtime? We can use it in certain cases, but it's been broken forever in the, in the core renderers. They just released it in 5.3, which allows us to do uh, one particular visual set piece that we were always wanting to do. It's much more used in architecture, but it's exactly what we needed. Uh, and similarly, um, one other feature that will probably be of interest at least to me, if not to us with the gang, was, you know, for example, level streaming persistence where you stream, you're obviously doing your level streaming that many of us, many of our projects are using right now, but you can mark up things as these should persist between stream in and stream out without having to build your own, you know, custom load save system or something like that. So just knowing that these features are coming, having those presented to us in a public place by Epic, if you're not following and watching those and you do just want to get an idea of what's going on just google that up you know the unreal public roadmap perfect one more thing so how do you think people should if they're like short on time like practically keep in touch so you mentioned the roadmap is there anything else that you do to like figure out like, i guess the key changes because i'm guessing there's a laundry list of changes but how do you know the ones that actually matter is there communities that you're in, involved in is there anything that wouldn't be part of the roadmap that you'd suggest? I'm always heading to the community. Um, as an independent developer and you know, part of smaller teams in the past and currently, um, that's the place where if you're just even curious about how does this work or what is this doing or this doesn't seem like it's doing what I want it to do, um, that's always there for you. And for bigger studios, bigger budgets and all the rest of it, uh, UDN is the place to go. And I know we'll, we'll mention them a little bit later as well. So if you're 
got a, if you have a big publisher and you can go get the uh, arrangement made with Epic Games, uh, UDN is the Unreal Developer Network, their internal site where shortest way I describe it to people is that if you put post a question there, you're guaranteed to get an answer or a response from Epic themselves. They have community managers constantly reading the things. If they already have an answer, they're going to direct you to it. If it looks like a legitimate thing they can fix, once again, they're going to find the right people and put you in touch. But it means that you had to make a pretty expensive uh, arrangement with them. But the public forums are great. I love them as well. Perfect. And Orum, you had one more thing. Yeah, so the following roadmap throughout the Unreal Engine is actually very beneficial in production. It is something like when you are dealing with some kind of features that you are going to develop, right? If you are seeing that is in the roadmap, you are not going to proceed to not to reinvent the wheel at the end. So according to me, I'm on a each week, I'm spending one or two hours of my time to see the things, uh, what's going on inside of the Epic game side is because there's a tons of developers there and the, the, those guys are amazing. They are just developing everything and uh, they're bringing new features, optimizations and those kind of stuff. And if this can be closed by, uh, let's say, uh, closely by the producers and uh, development leads, the technical guys, it can save you a lot of time in production uh, which may get your releases much more earlier than it needs to be. So, yeah. I could 100% imagine a couple of people like forgetting that, right? <laughs> Building the event in the wheel. It's like, oh, here, we, they just did it better. You wasted three weeks. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely a big thing to remember. Um, yeah, I was going to add a more conceptual take for anyone still working in Unreal 4, for example. Uh, I think that would be most most useful. Um, essentially, uh, when Unreal Five, when Unreal, when Epic started transitioning to Unreal Five, they uh, they they created these tools that introduce an abstraction layer of data between the tool that you're using in the engine and uh, and what feeds it. So, take for example uh, your Niagara or your Lumen or your nanites, or your control rig, all of these systems, um, all of these systems are abstracted away from data. So when you build with them, there's a lot more modularity with it, but also more kind of complexity on, on your end user, uh, as in your developer end of things. So like, um, for example, you can even create uh, incredible non-volatile workflows uh, with the data-driven design approach that Epic have introduced, where you can create data tables that you feed uh, CS, uh, CSV data from outside of your uh, project without recompiling it. And you can change a whole bunch of things on how you create uh, how how you create your like large world assets, for example. If you have many world layers, and 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 uh, each of those, if you have like a world layer, let's say with resources for an RPG, you can modify all of it like uh, with 
assets from outside of uh, outside of your project. Um, so I guess what's the key part there, Eurus? So I'm thinking the key part is that like conceptually, Unreal are introducing all of these new very cool systems, which are kind of daunting and maybe hard to work with at start. Uh, but when you when you get your head around it, it's kind of like um, you're working more with data, and all of the systems that are in there are more data oriented. So so it's like uh, your entity component system, your mass entity, like a mass entity system is the equivalent of entity component system. That is like a general term for a modern multi-threaded sort of mass mass object display, let's call it. And uh, it's incredibly powerful when you kind of combine those layers together. So like you can have, you can have like millions of meshes in a single draw call almost. Uh, if you have instance hierarchical meshes or you can combine it, combine the, um, the mass, uh, the, the mass with multi-threaded AI. And essentially you can have hundreds of thousands of people, AI pawns running around your scene, each of them pathfinding on their own. And all of that is going to be super performant and it's uh, completely amazing. So basically, if you are in any way able to move to five from four, sounds like there's like untold benefits there. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, sweet. Nice. Um, we'll wrap up because oh, we have more questions and we don't have all the time in the world. So he's going to be back to Eurus because you're the one with the resident Unity experience. So we added this one last minute given some recent changes. We're not going to talk about the financials. We're just talking about the technicalities here. So if someone is transitioning to Unreal from Unity, technically, what should they keep in mind? And there's a lot of if, buts, and maybes here, but we'll try yeah. to cover it in a high level. Yeah, you could... You could do a two-hour talk just on this, essentially, and uh, and obviously, uh, the most uh, the most daunting experience I've heard from many Unity developers is when they open Unreal. It seems like they're overwhelmed with the interface and all of the buttons and everything, and and they don't know the controls of it. So basically, uh, first is uh, learning the basic controls, which is essentially just um, learning how to move around and how to uh, check your objects when when playing, for example, when playing an editor as as anything, you can just press F8 and you will exit your pawn and you will able you will be able to fly around your scene, select objects, and just just the same as in Unity. While this option kind of goes past many people and they're just annoyed that they can't, you know, uh, escape the scene when they're in play, as well as uh, when editing, uh, it's uh, usually when editing, uh, rendering, uh, like editing scenes that are uh, hard on rendering, you can disable the run real time update of, of your lighting and that will uh, enable you to just place things around more more fluently in, in your scene. This reminds them more of Unity, I guess, in that sense. Yeah. And um, 
the big question, I suppose, is uh, C sharp versus C plus plus. So, mm. if in case uh, in case you have C plus plus experience, uh, well, it's like, or rather, let's go from the other way. Like, it's uh, in case you don't have C plus plus experience, start with blueprints, and once you understand blueprints, then you can go and uh, check how those blueprints represent themselves in code. So familiarizing yourself with uh, how the C++ is kind of used in Unreal because there's a lot of specifics, like a lot of macros and uh, Unreal kind of keywords. And uh, coming from Unity, uh, from C Sharp, um, your Unreal C++ is going to be a lot more agnostic. So which means that in the the objects the Unreal has a lot of objects and classes and subclasses like these hierarchies, which um, are meant to, which were initially made to function uh, universally for FPS games, essentially. While in Unity, you just have your raw kind of C-sharp objects and you can just attach your whatever scripts to whatever. And it's probably most of the time just going to work. Uh, well, in Unreal, you have to kind of adhere to this hierarchy of things and systems that uh, systems that have their life cycle uh, scopes, like your player scope, your level scope, your game state scope, your instance scope, and things like that, uh, which all goes into familiarizing yourself. Uh, well, with C++ code, because uh, you can explore, unlike in Unity, actually, you can just go and explore any class and see what inherits from what and um, and uh, build it like that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, um, well, blueprints are powerful, too. You can do a lot of with blue, a lot with blueprints, but... Um, I'm not sure how to say that. That's fine. I think you, starting you, can, with you can design with blueprints, but uh, a lot of performance critical code is still going to be uh, detrimental to be in C++. Could you find that one more time? Sorry. So As that means the blueprints is better than in performance code? And no, C++ is than, than, than blueprints. So what I'm saying is you can prototype and blueprints, pretty much whatever. But when you get to, uh, when you get to deeper things like multi-threading, for example, or, or, or working with things that are more direct, closer to the hardware, essentially, yeah, these are features that are not exposed in blueprints, like multi-threading and like your GPU instancing of meshes and things like that you will have to learn C++ anyway. So it sounds like if you're moving to Unreal from Unity, definitely start with Blueprint, get a feel of it before yeah. you dive into C++. Yeah, for sure. And nice. one of the things I'm trying to do with Other Five's project when I get it ready to release to a wider audience is that you can build almost anything in Blueprints. They are very powerful. Yeah. But yes, then your performance may suffer in some areas. So the one follow-up I would advise there always profile your stuff first and find out, okay, yeah, this this blueprint implementation is actually causing us a performance issue. It's not scaling well or whatever it is. 
then look to porting it over to C++. Or if it just gets too complex and you're having trouble debugging it, move it to C++. But otherwise, um, yeah, you can do an amazing amount of stuff with reruns. Yeah, so uh, all around the world, is Unreal is being, uh, I say, got the mm, interest from the studios. I have worked with many other studios who is working in Unity and tries to transition uh, from Unity to Unreal, even before this uh, kind of fee happens. It was just like the most the things that I'm uh, facing with people is getting afraid to dive into the C++. So to be honest, how to proceed with that is continue with the blueprints is an initial start to get used to some kind of stuff. Editor, understanding how the begin play works, so for instance, tick works and those kind of stuff. And later on, actually... C++ going throughout the C++ is coming with some kind of requirements and the things that you cannot able to do in the blueprints. And that, that is the point that you need to be familiar to C++. But the thing is, Unreal C++ is not 100% the raw C++. It is Unreal's library is something on top of uh, the C++ itself. So for instance, you are using the cast but in the thing that you will not care about is a dynamic cast, it's a static cast. So it is just Unreal itself is doing itself by automatically in handling the management uh, things in compile time or the runtime. So it is just like uh, going from the levels. First, you are going to understand how the things going in the blueprints and understand the Unreal. And then you are going to proceed with the Unreal C++ since that is also not responding to your end, and then you are going to proceed on the pure C++ to make the things done. So everyone can take these things forward as like this. Hmm. Um, one question here. So if I'm a studio thinking about doing this and I don't have a frame of reference, you said start with blueprints and then sometimes later you're going to get into C++. Is there a time frame there? Like, I guess, is that going to take a couple months? Is that going to take a year? Is that going to take a couple weeks? It's, uh, it's, it's based on how you are getting. So, for instance, if I uh, go with my own experience, in back 2013, there was not good enough C++ comments on that time, like when you're writing down Answer Hub, it was Answer Hub on that time, that you're typing down some kind of C++ questions, you will not be able to find anybody who is responding C++. But there was tons of people which is giving some kind of feedback regarding with the blueprints, but it is making you much more faster. And what I did is, when I'm seeing a blueprint tutorial while implementing the things in Unreal, if I can swap the exact that blueprint implementation to the C++ of Unreal, then I'm feeling like I'm learning. So it is comes to my uh, personality like a success. So uh, this can go as like this, learn blueprints, and then Unreal C++ and then C++ itself. It's because people is going to be confused about the, let's say, pointers, references, and many uh, the memory stack, heap, those kind of things will be confused by the older people. So uh, that's why people need to divide and conquer. It's a regular principle, right? So make it the little chunks that you understand, and based on that, you are going to proceed over. So uh, this will break down your learning process in very good, especially at the uh, history. I was .NET developer as well, 
and you are not dealing with the pointers and garbage collection is collecting everything and you it's nearly making auto automatic memory management so but you, you are getting used to it time to time and i just su suggest everybody do not afraid from c plus plus when it goes more detail it gives you more controls and if you have more control, you can target more machines, you can do very good optimizations, and you can reach much more uh, sales rate because you are targeting much more wider tar uh, machines all around the world. No, ah, makes sense. So definitely start from a one step, then two step, then three steps. Um, just back to that original question. So let's say I'm a studio. Like, will that process take a month, two months? Could you put a number on it? Is it dependent on a lot of factors? actually making that transition to unreal for me it's just uh, i cannot give it it, it really depends on the quality. i understand if it depends yeah yes. i just i'm just thinking if i'm a studio am i failing if it's taking me longer than six months because it's like is, is there a benchmark i was working with juniors in one studio even the juniors for me to take around four and five months to place the regular stuff, but mm. it is not 100% final, right? So it still requires some kind of understanding. Even you try to learn C++ from this day, it will take around six months and it, dep it depends on how you are getting and yeah. how solid your foundations in the computer science. Oh, sorry. So, yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. Lovely. Let's move on to the next question. And definitely everyone who's tuning in you can ask questions in the chat and we'll answer them uh, at the end of the show, basically in order. Nice. So a bit of a question on the who. So who should be transitioning? We did touch on this a couple bits, but I also want to touch on the when as well. So what part of the project, that kind of thing. So with this, I will start with Matt again, just because we heard Omron for a bit and then we'll go Omron and then yours. Yeah, I got a break. Thanks. Uh, with the Who should be transitioning? Um, the the I'm going to answer it as an easier one. Who should not be transitioning is just okay. people, if you're on 427 or heaven forbid an earlier version um, and you're near shipping and you're not necessarily an evergreen, persistent, ever updated game, hmm. I would say update right now. Um, and uh, we get the, got this question a few times from some friends, which is, oh, should we like go to 5.0 first and then maybe 5.1, 5.2, 5.0? Um, other than the fact that 5.3 just came out about a, a week ago or whatever it was, uh, uh, I usually, uh, when I'm in production on a project would skip the 0.0, the very first major releases. So 5.3.0, I would kind of skip and wait, wait for the 5.3.1 release and then, then go upgrade to that. Um, but so for example, if somebody said, uh, we're on 4.27 right now, we want to move to Unreal 5 what should we do? I'd say go get 5.2.1. Um, that's the the one before 5.3. It's the point one where they fixed all the critical bugs that were found after the initial 5.2.0 release. Uh, go get that one. And I found incremental updates in 5.x to be very easy. So um, the, the last thing I would give when considering it is if you have been working in Unreal going through, you know, 425, 426, 427, um, or you've just done that in the past, the guidance that Epic gave us when going from 4.27 to 5 was expected to be about like three minor versions. So it would be more like 4.30. <laughs> um, 
And so there were some headaches there, just some interfaces that change, get ready to, you know, find some compile errors. And when we're talking about who you need to weigh, how many, uh, if you're one of the types of studios that feels the need or just enjoys for some reason, making lots of engine changes for your own local branches, uh, the more of those you have, the more difficult that tends to be, of course. I mean, it's a given with any upgrading of Unreal. That's why I just generally say that as all developers probably, if you already know this, sorry, if you're relatively new to Unreal, change the engine itself as little as possible. Make sure you have good habits of labeling your comments with this was added by us on this date for this reason and block those out so that when you do merge new versions, you can easily see, oh, this was our change. We didn't delete that thing. Epic added it or vice versa, you know, to make those merges easier. So, um, but try to keep those minimal. And as long as you haven't changed a huge amount of code, I would say the one of the bigger considerations is the fact that the editor changed so much. So if you have a huge content team as well, they're going to need to get used to a new feel to the editor. But I can also only assure you, once you do, it's better. <laughs> mm. At first, I was like, oh, I miss four. I miss out all my layouts and tabs and everything Just else. Just change, right? Before. Homogeneity. Everyone doesn't like yep. you, but after a while. Yeah, exactly. But now, as soon as you're used to it, you, you, it's hard to go back. Let me put yeah. it like that. <laughs> ah, ah, exactly. Uh, Eurus, any thoughts on this, on who should be transitioning, anything we have missed? Um, any change is hard, even it's for even if it's for the good, for the better. Uh, um, no, I don't think uh, um, I don't think I have anything about the who, uh, more about the how. And uh, well, like to add on what Matt said is if you can if you can make changes that you can uh, on your own kind of track well, compartmentalize, for example. Uh, if you can avoid ma making changes to the engine, but instead you can extend on something and uh, put that into like a a plugin that's you know within your studio, that's perfect. You 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 will see like like all of your changes are going to be separate from the engine. You can update the engine and then check what's what's happened and update your plugin. Many many studios work this way, and then of course like large. For large, uh, for large studios who extend upon Unreal themselves and make changes and make their own versions and maintain them uh, on their own, that's like it's like a bigger deal with, and and they deal with it themselves, of course, and they have like an army of super experienced engineers who speak fluent C plus plus, and that's a whole different kind of. Yeah, shebang, but yeah. No, that makes sense. It's good to understand they, that. They decide on their own when to transition. Yeah. After a while, they might be like, oh, should we stop? Yeah. <laughs> Basically being a third engine prediver at some point. Um, any Omron, before we move on, anything we've missed? Yeah, so it's just, I agree what Matt said, but just the thing is that to studios who is closer to the release, maybe reconsider to going up on the things like upgrading the engine because on that time, everyone is super... Uh, Would you say even like as soon as production starts or is it like 
soon yeah, after there can be a gap like two months will not hurt anybody right okay. from the release after the, the you made the good release and you are getting the feedbacks from the players and you everybody is happy and you get get a good one month of vacation because the project end and then you can start to reconsider to upgrade the engine the, as always engine must be upgradable on the next question i will give the samples why yeah so real, definitely real quick. Uh, this is a production type of thing but it, i'm sure it will be relevant to many of you is you can have one person or a small team of like one engineer typically working on upgrading your core um branch of your game to five a version of 5.x while the rest of the team continues of course but that poor person is going to have to constantly be merging in, you know, changes from the rest of the team developing and updating those into their work all the time. It's it's hard, but you can do it. And they will also have to go to team members and tap them and say, this is broken in five. Can you help me? What should this be doing here? What should this logic be when I fix it up? Um, but you can do it in parallel. I would if you just make the hard change, uh, I mean, you should never just stop everyone working in four to force everyone to start working in five once you have it building and there's no crashes and no crazy blockers you can then make that peaceful transition and start rolling it out to the rest of the team um but uh i would still depending on the size of your project expect that to be someone working on this a couple of weeks to for really big projects maybe a couple of months even depending on how much time they can dedicate each day to uh, the migration effort itself. Yeah, no small effort. This isn't an overnight change at all. Yeah, for sure. Uh, nice. Story time. So I would like to hear some examples, please. So potentially looking at new features from Unreal 5 versus Unreal 4, and I have Omrum pre-selected to go first on this one. So I guess, is there any big tangible differences? We're basically selling Unreal 5 to people at this point, but anything that has happened, any new features which are really kind of any cool stories yeah so uh, it is something like uh, there was one project that i was in the lead developer is just a kind of porting so the thing is that this is the game i'm talking about is a triple a game which is being streamed by uh, steam right now and it is being like focused like currently thousands of players are playing it but the thing is when this event <laughs> hit me in the faces uh, developers are made the game and tons of tons of custom code inside of the engine which on the production they stuck their engine in 421 which is being released in march 2019 and i'm talking about the project which is one year before so it was just like 5.2 zero was released on that moment so the thing is when you are going a porting you will definitely need some sdks to able to port your game to the playstation 5 or uh, the new consoles coming up the site but the thing is uh, the business team of ours has decided to create an sdk and it was just like very funny moment which the epic engineers are already made that stuff but this comes with the requirements because the client said to our business team like it is impossible to upgrade the engine because tons of custom code 
So what happened is actually what we did, we first get the, what is the difference? Exactly, we found the version of the engine of the Epic Games from the GitHub. This history is very nice. And also the guys engine, source engine, they are using for the building the things. And based on that, we exported the differences as a plugin, what Matt's, uh, sorry, jury said. So we put something on top of the engine and which can respond, which can, which we can make the engine upgradable. So we immediately gain a time to not to write down an SDK, but rather than the upgrading the engine itself. So uh, this was the one moment to calculate the differences. The other part is not only this part, but also going with the plugins. Plugins are plugins are uh, supported uh, from the version to another version, and in projects you may use many versions. So on that time we took a direction. If this is not, uh, let's say, being released on this uh, version of the engine, and then we are going to create a similar plugin because writing down an SDK will create much more production flow, and I wonder if we can achieve that one or not. Yeah. So this was another point for us to consider. And what happens? Also, the, the problems in the engine while upgrading include paths may change and some kind of uh, functions getting deprecated. So people need to be aware of those, which one is needs to be used. So at the end, long story short, is the thing is you need to constantly try to upgrade your engine and try to clear the engine from the warnings when you are building your game. So do, do, do not do not make them wait. Like warnings are there. My code is working, but it will it will crash in the next version. Don't be silly and go with that. So just fix. So we, we were having like on a two-week sessions with my developers, we were always taking like clearing from the warnings. Mm. So it was just a perfect moment for everybody to be adapted the engine to the new versions, upcoming versions. Nice. I like that. And yeah, I just want to reiterate one thing that you said there, because it sounds like it really helps when you come into the transition, right? Getting rid of those warnings, definitely something that is going to make that a lot easier. And it sounded like in that story, kicking the can down the road happened a lot. And yeah, it sounds like we want to avoid that, especially when it comes to these engine changes. Uh, yours? Uh, yeah, I want. I just wanted to ask, uh, which tier of warnings did you use? Because you can just lower the, lower the compiler warning tier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> to be honest, it's the same. The thing is that first things that you are seeing in the engine, just first purify those. If there are some kind of extra reverse kind of warnings will be required, you can step down one by one. But uh, it is just like seeing a warning here and ignoring it is not a good practice. Yeah, true. Big true. If you can get to the point where you have warnings as errors with your team, it's a well, nice place to be, but sometimes you're just too far gone and you have to live with it. Production and QA can love that. Good. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I wanted to go and then speak about just a little about the porting to, well, porting between 5, 5.1, 5.2 uh, for, for a project that uh, we were working on in VR. Now, because uh, with 5.0 coming out, there were all of these very, very cool promises for VR rendering and how it's going to be improved and how 
how we're gonna get all the things and then it turned out it's not it, it wasn't like that easy uh because well uh, lumen wasn't actually uh working for for five five uh and um uh, and then in 5.1 it was uh, again inter- iterated upon um and uh nanite was kind of sketchy as well and then some bits of lumen started working but it turned out that it's not very good with shadows and uh, reflections and uh, our clients were like well we've seen you know uh, we just saw this unreal advertisement with like millions of polygons and you know uh, everything super crisp and where is all that and we were like well um <laughs> about that <laughs> so then in 5.2 we finally get some lumen in, in VR working and reflections and some reflections and again it's like obviously um, well for us it was a big step like each of those steps for us as developers that was a it was a great step but then when you for example are working uh, for uh, not for a game, but for a B2B, for example, some kind of project or product, then your clients be going to be are a lot less kind of savvy and a lot less forgiving. So when, when something is promised and like to look a certain way, and then it doesn't look that way, it's, it's going to be, you know, worse than it is for games. Yeah, you should temper uh, the expectations a bit there. Yeah. My point being is that uh, whenever you transition to some to some version, expecting some fe- some cool feature to work uh, before before doing that, it's sometimes is useful to make a sandbox just to test out that feature and push the boundaries of that feature in like a complete sandbox, so that none of your other stuff none of your entire other project can mess with anything so that you can like it's kind of like proof testing the feature that you're actually uh interested in and only then like you can go and say that yeah for for for, you can go and tell your producer that yeah this works like up to this point and showing results and then it's a lot more kind of And as I was saying at the beginning, go to the public forums. People were going bonkers about the fact that the Lumen shadows and reflections were a mess when they first launched. Absolutely. Uh, Just just check. Just go do a quick search and check. And if there's a whole bunch of people saying, what is going on with this? Might not be ready yet. And you have (laughs) proof as well to then show to the client if it comes to that, right? Um, I was was shocked, for instance, when the Nanite, they were just doing lots of advertisement on top of this in a 5.0 i was just eager to test this into foliages mm-hmm. and they come up and say no it's not available in this version <laughs> so you need to wait 5.1 version so it is just like yeah it's got me excited <laughs> but now it's out right um i want to quickly segue that one into just a very short story because i know we have a lot of questions left which for me is now getting to pull the mega scans awesome nanite assets just directly from in the editor, drop them in your world. 
you can browse for billions of these cool things and especially the um all of that those natural environments and the again the foliage and everything now just being able to do that has been huge for me and you add the procedural content generation tools that they added and showed at G in 5.2 they added and showed those at gdc this year there's improvements now in 5.3 those things are so powerful you can just make amazing huge looking maps that take massive amounts of resources to render and load into memory as well uh with a few clicks of the mouse so enjoy the power but be careful of how you use it <laughs> yeah um, amazing lovely so yeah we do have 15 minutes left so i will dedicate around five to ten minutes for q a and i have a few to kick us off as well when it comes to that so we have two of the main questions here so apparently some people find unreal 5 less stable i guess i won't be you guys so i guess either refute it tell me why people potentially think like that um and yeah, I think this is on Matt. So when it comes to Unreal 5, what's the situation? I don't find it any less or more stable. I shouldn't say that. My experiences using it now have been on uh, in 5 this year, have been on smaller projects. So I may be missing some of hmm. those things that happen on like an MMO or something. I'm making multiplayer um, experiences uh, with my own work. And we're using a lot of the new art and visuals and things on uh, with the gang, as well as, again, some of my own um, maps and things. I have not had problems, but once again, 5.0, you saw it a lot. You saw a lot of people complaining, mm. oh, this isn't working, or uh, you know, I'm getting crashes in this new thing. Um, I'm using the new interface for how the, again, uh, pulling in assets and all these different aspects at 5.0, there were a lot more problems right now, five, one, five, two, especially, and myself now moving, uh, to five, three last week, very happy with it. Um, but at the same time, if you're in production, skip that point. Oh, just wait for the yeah, point. Reassuring that point. There I think always it's... be some issues that Epic, despite their best efforts, couldn't catch in the initial release of some new features. And you'll get those critical fixes in the five, yeah. five that feedback loop, right? Yep. On some errors that I've had as well in 5.3, uh, I've had errors in four in, in in versions of four as well a lot. But uh, to add to what um, what I tried to speak about in the beginning is this data oriented approach that Unreal are increasingly integrating into the engine every version. So what's happening now is, for example, the latest 5.3 is. Uh, um, more and more wrapping their own game objects into their pointer types. So what this means is uh, instead of, for example, having, uh, well, as in the rule of thumb is becoming so that you have to wrap every object that you, for example, use in your C++ code to wrap it in a pointer because that's becoming the standard for Unreal itself, which gives a lot of uh, more flexibility and like leeway because those pointers are going to be automatically garbage collected and recycled and you will have less kind of potentially less issues. But the issues that we've had uh, in multiple projects that I've seen is mostly with pointers. And this is because, uh, well, we use object pointers instead of uh, instead of either 
your shared or weak or unique pointer. So this is something that's uh, becoming increasingly a standard. Oh, is there anything that people should, I guess, keep in mind then practically um, with this fact that this is happening? Should they change anything that they're doing? They should. Well, people should just keep in mind that uh, it's a it's a better approach to wrap things in pointers. Just a rule of rule of Yeah. So if you can do it. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I've final question before we go to the Q&A and I'll let Mok- Omram uh, take this one. So migration, mm. again, a bit more high level here, but also looking for practical reasons and things that people should keep in mind. So why is migration complicated? It is just like, as actually I have given this example of a AAA game, two questions before, but <laughs> yeah, it goes like when you, it, it isn't just... Uh, Maybe I will repeat myself once again, but you will try to keep the engine. If you keep the purified engine from the Epic Games on a side, and if you are if you want to customize, use always plugins that thing. And just inside of your game code, you can always reference to that plugin and able to get the things out. If you are trying to get much more uh, complicated during the production it is just that your migrations are getting much more complicated so that's why uh, as matt said for instance you need to have some kind you might have some couple of developers which is only focusing this area like migrating some kind of time to time and have the continuous development process without uh, disturbing the others so as much as you obey this you will be purified but if you take the things like a not upgradable way or you are breaking you are creating lots of technical depth in your code and uh, when it is just like how may i put this so yeah so at the end have the purified engine this is very important <laughs> so keep in that way and continuously as a give your time and upgrade the version the uh, engine version itself to not do I want to add one thing to that, which is, again, using plugins, get used to it, get good at it. It will always help you. Um, If anyone who happened to be with me back in those days was working in Unreal 3 with me on a major project that we did back then, we had a core team doing nothing but constantly integrating changes because we were sharing with some other studios. All they did was finish one integration pass it to the game team. Game team would start their integration. The engine team would immediately start upgrade, uh, integrating the next version that we were sharing. It was nonstop work because we were maintaining a huge amount of uh, engine changes. So my rule for anyone that asks, if you want to hire me as a consultant, I will tell you the same thing. Uh, you get this one for free, which is if you have a feature that you think requires an engine change, Ask someone experienced, find the right expert, and know for sure the only mm. way to do what you're trying to do is to go modify engine code. Most likely, there's another solution that doesn't require that, and your life forever will be better if you can avoid the uh, merging problems that Amram just you said. You said most likely, so is that literally like eight times out of ten? Like, is it the vast majority? Like, is it ninety-five percent, ninety-nine percent, depending on? What kind of game you're making? If you're making something that's 
truly novel and different uh, bespoke <laughs> compared to uh, any other game that has been shipped. Don't get many of those, to be fair. <laughs> You're probably doing things that someone else has done before, and there's probably an existing way in Unreal 5 Plus to do it without making an engine change. Cool. You so, may yeah, not that... like it. You may not even love some of like, I worked with another studio that just hated the game state and game modes and this part mm. of the flow of, you know, they were making a kind of a brawler game where you built, you know, your teams got together on each team and then you went in and did your arena brawling, came out, you know, you had all these game states that multiple multiplayer that they would all go in and out of the game and they hated Unreal's game state and game modes. They just didn't want to use it. It just wasn't what they wanted to do. And then they made their own. And then they were miserable because they shoehorned it into the engine with data injection and all these things they liked. And they constantly had bugs and crashes. And the only one who could fix those bugs and crashes were them. Yeah. The only one who could help with those were them. If they went to UDN and said, hey, we implemented this complex um, you know, uh, dynamic state machine thing. Why did you do that? <laughs> and it's causing problems they'd say you you wrote that you fixed it <laughs> whereas if it was game state and game modes and you found some sort of a crash or something epic or other developers or whoever would say that's the problem we will fix it and it gets fixed or here's a workaround and we're going to integrate your fix into the next version they're great about that so uh just be careful building your own custom engine stuff yeah <laughs> Yeah, so the, the the thing is, this is also power using an Epic Games developers, the Unreal Engine developers, as a team member of yours. So mm. somebody is in the United States is actually working for the engine itself, so you can just add them to your team, right? So you do not just conflict your production flow with those guys. As let's say, sometimes this is happens. Uh, so you need to cross a little bit from the engine side. The most border that you go inside of the engine, just one thing, third-party libraries. So it is sometimes, it has happened, let's say you want to inject gRPC into your project and somehow OpenSSL and those kind of things are getting outdated, but you need to use new versions of those. And Unreal Team, the Epic Team, is not very agile on updating this kind of third-party libraries. Even you put that as a plugin at packaging state since OpenSSL, for instance, there inside of the engine, and it is also inside of the plugin, and it is just C++, regular error. So uh, just that part, when you are upgrading, uh, if you that much want to <laughs> touch to the engine, just you can proceed with the third-party libraries, but do not cross over that part. Just stay there. Thanks. Lovely. That was a nice little bow to add on that. Cool. So we have some questions in the chat. Matt has kindly done a head start, but so you may have to repeat yourself, Matt, or I might select someone else, but it's nice that we have the uh, text record. So we'll get straight into it because we are running out of time. So first question is from Simon. Simon, hi. As a Unity developer wanting to migrate due to recent news, how transferable are my net programming skills in Unreal? Mr. Net Programmer, Eurus. Let's go. Uh, I think they can either we or Omarin. Uh, well, Unity is a very thin uh, layer between actually just net code and what you do in Unity. Uh, so like if this is the C-sharp, 
this is Unity, and then this is what you script in Unity. Then uh, in Unreal, this is C++. This is Unreal stack, and then you are above here. So the stack that you have to kind of um, understand between C++ and in Unreal is a lot uh, is a lot bigger. So this uh, this brings me back to what we started with uh, is um, the general kind of higher hierarchy of, of Unreal of the systems that it uses of the objects that it uses like your object actor pawn character all of those things. There's a layer of subsystems as well that adhere to. Uh, certain life cycles, for example, if you figure out something that you, uh, that like, if you're creating a system that needs to persist in your level, then you can put it in your level. If you need a system that persists in your entire game from the beginning that it's running, you can create a subsystem that persists automatically throughout your entire life cycle, and you don't have to like uh, write any additional logic in order for it to be alive. It's just going to be there. Um, so there's a lot of great stuff. But um, to answer your question directly, well, programming is still going to be useful, like your programming understanding of object-oriented practices and uh, the the patterns that you use, except, well, in C++, uh, the syntax is going to be different. Um, Amran, maybe you can. Yeah, so the, to be honest, it is these both languages are coming from the same source. So it is just like when you go to the .NET, you are calling it a dictionary, but when you come to the Unreal Engine, you are calling it a T-map. So when you are going list in .NET, you are coming here and watching with the T-array. So it is actually the, in the data structure-wise, uh, structure it is nearly the same things that you are following. That's why I'm always suggesting like the Unity developer, since the Unity there, as the jurist described, Unreal is here. So you can just catch this part from starting from, from the blueprint. But if you are pure C++ developer, that means your understanding of memory management and the pointers and the references and their operations, of course, it will be much more easy for you to understand the things. But it is one of them has an advantage, the other one has a disadvantage. So just it is the time to, for you, but it's deep, it really relies on the same principles. So if you have solid understanding on object-oriented, even I can tell you, on the ECS side, Unity is made it earlier to go there, and then Unreal come up with the mass entity. So it is just like sometimes you will have an advantage on the understanding things. So yeah, so it is just like you want to take the C++ into your library, please go for it. Cool. Perfect. So we have a few more. So we'll go quick fire now. So we have one from Evolution Zone. So I'll read it out because it's a bit too long. So in terms of gameplay from Unreal, so we saw a demo designed to look like a body cam. From my understanding, super, super realistic in the game. So how does that actually affect, actually, I guess, real products are going to be released? So not demo necessarily, like actually production games. If you have something super realistic, how does that affect the kind of design and art direction, I guess, like the from a technical perspective, like what are the implications here? From a tech perspective, I'm almost not sure. I was trying to think of the experience for their players because too much realism 
that's that was part of the feedback from that one was this feels too mm. you know lifelike this feels like i'm actually in these you know criminal uh, <laughs> wages scary situations and i'm committing um, arson <laughs> daily yeah and so uh but the depending on what your experience that you're trying to convey to your audience is you can easily now integrate and use those things, but you have to know that that's what your audience for that experience want. And like things, you look at things like Fortnite, uh, the UA, UEFN's demos, you know, the UE Fortnite public editor demos. Um, and they go out of their way to make things look more game-like. They use materials that make things look more gamified. And you may just want or need to do that. And so don't assume and mixing and matching can be really off-putting to a, a player um if you had super photorealistic environments but then not very like cartoonish characters in that you know you better know that that's there's you're doing that for uh a reason the tech won't stop you from doing any of this stuff that's what's amazing uh but you have to know that what is the player going to see? They're going to get some weird dissonance that they're in a photo real environment, but they're shooting, you know, weapons that are, have, you know, glossy, weird materials or, you know, know your audience, use these tools when they're appropriate. And if you know that an audience doesn't want a super photo realistic experience, be ready to use other uh, options and materials and things uh, in your game and, and skip those entirely. Don't, don't waste the resources and the rendering time and the memory and everything else on those hyper-realistic things. Yeah, I keep nodding like all the time during my talking. And there's this uh, there's this term called the uncanny valley, where essentially, if you're making a video game, right, uh, it's there's there's a certain expectation from the player, like almost unconscious, that there's going to be things that aren't realistic in it. And uh, it goes the opposite way, for example, for simulations and products where where you're making a B2B pro something that has to be super realistic without, without uh, anything that might stick out. So um, so there's that to consider from like a user perspective. And uh, personally, I'm all for uh, sty stylized realism or... Um, there's a whole genre like that, that I call um, stylized hyperrealism, where it's some kind of super high, realistic scene rendered, but there's something uh, that's unrealistic in it, like like a huge shiny tall tree, for example. You know, but it's gonna look very photorealistic. But when you look at it, it's gonna be like subverse, like subverse, subverting your understanding of it so the tech is there nothing will stop you it sounds yeah. like the good way to use it would be i guess sub keeping the in wow this looks beautiful but then add a kind of filter of a thing to make it still feel like a game i think that's you getting the most of that i guess feature uh nice check uh, check with your art leadership tech with your uh, check tech oh god check with your tech artists Make sure that you all have a consistent uh, plan across the board. Oh, yeah. And you can also plan your performance budgets and things like that based on knowing what level you're going for. Lovely. Uh, cool. Question from Luis. Again, these are quick fire. So has the issue with variables being reset to default when reopening the project using live code will resolve this issue? Yeah. Was in 5.1. <laughs> yes, it's been fixed. Is that in 5.2? 
Yes, since 5.2 is when I have no longer seen uh, myself or heard any uh, colleagues have that issue. Perfect. Nice. And we have one question just coming from Yusuf Cabro. How do you plan a performance budget? Start with knowing what your audience is. What tone are you trying to set? Um, yeah, perf, perf, uh, and same thing with memory, of course, too. Uh, if you have experienced developers, most of them will know, okay, the, once again, what frame rate are you shooting for? Most of the time, everybody likes now to be at 60 mm. all the time. Um, 60 frames per second, sorry. So if you know that from the beginning, um, it just... Uh, it's hard to make a budget up front until you've actually built out a lot of your systems, but then just constantly profile. Profile anytime it dips below your target FPS, immediately figure out what have we changed, what happened, what did we add that's brought it down, and then is that a critical part of what we have? Yes. Then where else in our budget can we shrink to allow for that? So never optimize prematurely either. You can have the perfect planned budget up front once you're actually building and you've actually made the world and gameplay and everything else that you have targeted you will probably find something did not fit in that budget the way you expected it to and other things didn't uh go as big as you as that other feature did and you need to be optimizing in the right place are you gpu bound cpu bound render thread bound of course so like i said just optimize all the time and iterate on your performance budget Try not to stick to a rigid one up front because it won't mm. work once you're building. But uh, one other thing on that, um, constantly, uh, you will find a lot of times too that you then have like low-hanging fruit, easy optimizations you can make in one area when you profile and go, oh, this is kind of expensive. Why are we spending that much here? Oh, there's an easy fix we can make and save some milliseconds there. That was a pretty easy piece of work. Whereas if you just artificially try to say this whole you know system can only have this much, it might be micro optimizations and hard, really challenging work that takes much longer. Whereas you could have gotten the same milliseconds over here for an hour of work or something. Mm. So, so just because uh, you see things to optimize, but if there's a lot of little ones, maybe go three C, find a big one, and just stay on top of it through your all of your production if you can. Just just constantly budget time to find those easy fixes and optimize them as you go and then educate your content creators too you know if you find out that your artists are just constantly adding stuff you do a, a shader um pre the, the shader view in your uh complexity view while you're playing the game and you just notice oh my gosh they're just glaringly inefficient shaders on objects all over this map area Who's working on that? Let's go have a talk with them and say, you need to use these things sparingly or don't use these materials on those specific objects. There's too many of them and that material is too complex. You need to use something more simple. But find out where the problems are first. Don't try to like optimize and then just enforce it as a rigid thing from the beginning. I mean, enforce it from the beginning because of your goals, but don't just make a pie chart and then just artificially try to stick in that. Um, yeah, I think it makes sense as well with deadlines as well, just in, in general with games. If you stay rigid, there's usually pain uh, coming. Um, <laughs> oh, and uh, you're just, you, did, uh, you wouldn't see this. You put it in our chat. Test on all your platforms too. What looks good, works great, runs well on one platform. And you mentioned mobile here. Absolutely. Like 
on the PC. This is perfect. This is no problem. Uh, every uh, performance is amazing. Are there Unreal games on mobile that are actually big? Because I know you can do it, but I didn't know they're like actually competitive. Is it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I, yeah. In, at Inno Games, when I was in Germany, 2016-ish, uh, that was all we were working on at that uh-huh. time. But go ahead, guys. I'm gonna be researching now because I'm curious. Uh, Omra, please. Yeah. So uh, the thing is, what uh, on top of Matt said is just define your target platform from the very beginning and define your uh, what, as Matt said, is 60 FPS for everybody as a standard. But if you want to force more, you feel free to go for it. And at the end, the thing is that. When uh, Matt says profiling, this shouldn't scare you out. There's actually some kind of DevOps is being called. Just you can use your automated tests, use your pipelines to produce to each build, you can get some kind of FPS results. Even Unreal has something which is very not highlighted, I'm not seeing anywhere, is a called Gauntlet Automated Framework that you can exactly test even your inputs, which is actually creating amazing. And based on that, you can deploy it, whatever target machine that you can proceed, PlayStation kits and uh, Xbox and uh, those are things, is creating some kind of report for you. And based on that, the tech lead or somebody can go and say, hey, yeah, we are getting good result on PC, but we are having some kind of problems in PlayStation 4 build. And, but but this needs some kind of good dedication and uh, some kind of crew is understanding what they are doing. So, but if you install this one time in your studio and at the end of your time, let's say (laughs) you didn't make any kind of layoff or anything, it will persist in your studio's library and it will help you and save everybody's time a lot. And you can use emails like you are using this materials and this material is creating some kind of issues like in this uh, perspective and you just you can send the mails and all of them will be automatic it was it will become amazing so use use the possibilities let let me apologize because i just realized i i'm think i uh, i may not always be speaking to a super experienced unreal crowd in game if you have as long as you have access to the little console commands uh line while you're debugging so like a development build stat space start file do whatever capture whatever gameplay you need to stat stop file all one word and then in your saved folder you've got one of these little profiling captures you can just go open it in unreal's editor um uh i forget the name of the window right now of course but um they have you know these tools are free and built in and available for anyone you don't have to go get pics and learn it or um, do you know specific captures on specific platforms? You can just use the ones that are built into Unreal and find most of your problems with their tools, and they're I think they're quite good. Yeah, it's it's Unreal Insights. Insights, yes, is uh, the modern, lovely version that that we all know and love. And one thing is network profile profiler, very important one. <laughs> it sounds like there is definitely like there's obviously a tutorial to Unreal, I imagine, but from sp- this conversation we're wrapping up now there sounds like a lot of very good practices that you should kind of know from the very get-go so i guess if you're a team and maybe the most experienced person in unreal has only been doing it for a couple of years sounds like if you can get the ear of someone who's been doing it for longer than that you might save yourself pain and suffering um so yeah uh, he's a bit of a 
somehow plug for getting himself a contractor. Uh, it just sounds like it's worth kind of speaking basically to someone who's been there, done that, because it sounds like the amount of pain and money we can save is loads. Amazing. Lovely. Guys, thank you everyone in the chat. Thank you, Uris, Matt, and Omram for you know, being with me today. We went over about 15 minutes, but I'm sure no one uh, minded at home. But yeah, I'll wrap up there. Again, thank you everyone at home for listening. And yeah, catch you in the next one. If you follow Evolution Recruitment Gaming, you will get all the future events that are happening. So feel free to do that. Thank you.